Hey, hey, welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. My name is Joe. I am your host, and with me, as always, is the Real Wolf Record Club panel, Hannah, Ben, and Ryan. We have got a fabulous show for you today. We're talking about one of the great rock albums of the last few decades, 10 by Pearl Jam. And I know as soon as I say that, you guys, if you're listening closely, you've heard us talk about Pearl Jam, and I'm getting eye rolls from my panelists right now. They're like, come on, bro. Tell us about your bias. <laughs> Tell us about all the posters you've got hanging on the wall and all the times you see them. I am, admittedly, a humongous Pearl Jam fan, so I am very, very excited to talk about this album. And today, doing it with us is one of the great sports voices working uh, of the last few decades. He's the radio voice for college basketball, college football. You might have seen him on the Big Ten Network. You probably know him best as the radio voice, play-by-play voice for the Minnesota Twins Baseball Club. With us is Corey Provis today to talk about Pearl Jam 10. And as we say, join the club, be part of the conversation, follow us, get at us. If we hit something out of the park, let us know. And if we fail striking out miserably, let us know too. You can also go to realwolfrecordclub.com and buy some merch designed by our very own Ward Sutton. It's got that sweet, sweet logo on it. You can find out episodes information, episode information and info about our guests, including Corey Provis and all he's doing. So let's get to it. Um, as I said, I've got a big bias here, and I'll be very, very quick about it because I could go forever. Uh, I've been a Pearl Jam fan for a very long time, and I think, I think in the last you know, 30 years, there's been probably no band that I've spent more time thinking about and following and listening to and and dedicating my earwaves to. So um, it's no secret this is a big fan. I'm a big fan uh, to talk about this album. But I, I want to put it out there to the panel, Hannah, Ben, Ryan, that Pearl Jam 10, that this is the first album that I can remember being everywhere in a good way. Not not like Mambo Number no. Five everywhere, like like an album or a, a, something that was just everywhere. And for our younger listeners who don't know what it's like to not have a streaming service, when I say everywhere, it was like one of three places: Some, your older brother, your older brother's friend, the radio, or MTV is where you heard live music. I've got tapes of songs that I dubbed off the radio. Um, I can distinctly remember the Jeremy video. And that's kind of my first introduction to this album. But I remember, I mean, it sold, what, 60 million albums? I found a, some chart that said 1,500 streams equals one album sold. And so when I punched in on my iPhone calculator, 60 million times 1,500, I got 9E10. <laughs> so that's a lot. It's a lot of streams is the point. I mean... It's a lot of it's a lot of uh, a lot of listens. It's a lot of plays. so many that it started converting to letters, huh? Yes, it switched to ten. Is the point, Hannah? That's the point I'm trying to make. It's a switch to ten. Sign Joe of is, things to come. Joe, is that Roman? I don't. I was hoping numbers guy would have this. Ryan's the econ guy. <laughs> uh, Ryan, what's the E stand for? Effort. Uh, power of ten. Nine to the power of ten. So <laughs> we can we can definitively say that this album is powerful. It's a powerful, powerful album. It's a smash hit, as they say. Which I had a whole thing about a, what a smash hit means, but um, we won't go into that. So so here we are, and I'm curious to know, Hannah, Ben, Ryan, what's your what's your first introduction to this album? What do you remember about it? Uh, my first introduction probably was 
hearing it on the radio. Did they have radio in Wisconsin? They did, Joe. They did. We managed. <laughs> well, I mean, to, I'm just. I'm not. We managed to somehow rig up some cans and string up there and somehow get reception. <laughs> but Hannah, uh, but Ben and Ryan. I mean, you're from small town Podunk, America, too. I mean, you guys had access to this. Yeah, po- actually, from Podunk, Minnesota, and um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm gonna be honest here. Up in God's this country. Yeah, this isn't the album that brought me to Pearl Jam. So my gateway drug was actually Versus, mm-hmm. and I later came to Pearl Jam 10. Ryan, is that is that similar experience for you or what was your first introduction to 10? You know, I want to say this goes back to me listening to the top 10 countdown on the radio at nine o'clock in my bedroom as a kid or a young teen. What was the name and, of the bedroom that you, you lived in again? Uh, Didn't you have a name that your parents gave it or something? Yeah, due, due to all the albums with explicit ratings that I would get uh, discreetly in the mail from BMG uh, music service and Columbia house. It was deemed the den of naughty music by my mother. Oh, I still let me listen to the music by the way, but I just had to shut the door. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I would remember listening to this, um, the songs off Pearl Jam 10 on those top 10 countdowns. And I also have a very distinct memory of, uh, of seeing the music video to Jeremy for the first time um, on M- at MTV on MTV over at one of my friend's houses. We didn't have MTV in my house and put on America, so I had to go to my <laughs> friends. But I still remember that. And you know, I don't know. There, there's certain things that, and maybe some of our panel can relate to this or our listeners. Um, but at that age, there's a there's just a, a very small list of things that kind of made that impression on me that are still making an impression on me today. Um, Music-wise, Pearl Jam's on that list. Um, like TV-wise, there's like The Simpsons. They're still around. I remember them listening and watching them as a, as a teen. Um, it's just kind of a cool little thing to just think about things that have been around for that long um, and are still impressionable today on me. Yeah, I mean, it's and that's the thing. When you talk about those things that continue to resonate with fans and listeners, I mean, Pearl Jam – We've talked. I've, I've, I'm a fanboy. I've already outed myself. Uh, but you could argue that Pearl Jam gave rise to this podcast. Um, look, here's an Easter egg for the show. But Ben and I went to school together. Uh, and like many people who graduate with a law degree, as soon as they're done, they don't want to see anybody at all for a while. Uh, so it was about a year or so after we graduated. Uh, Hannah and I and some friends were going to the Pearl Jam 20 20th anniversary festival show at Alpine Valley in Wisconsin. And I hadn't seen anybody from law school for a long time. And on that rainy first day, we pulled in midday to tailgate right next to uh, a very rowdy bunch. And lo and behold, it was Ben, Ryan, and some other people. And that was, I think, the first time I met Ryan. And it was definitely a good time catching up with Ben. And I mean, maybe we would have got back together again, maybe not, but it was definitely a reconnection. And from there, here we are having this podcast. But the point is, I mean, th- this album, this band has a has a ton of 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 resonance, resonance, resonance with with people for in a variety of ways. Um it's it's definitely provided an outlet to make lifelong connections and and give people give people a reason to list it as one of their defining characteristics on their Twitter handle, which is our guest today, the voice of the Minnesota Twins and huge Pearl Jam fan, Corey Provis. Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club, Corey. Guys, good evening. It is uh, an honor to be on uh, on your show, on your podcast. So thanks for having me and uh, especially to talk about, uh, like you said, Joe, my favorite band and 
and the album that uh, that to this day, all uh, what thirty some odd years later, still uh, means the world to me. So I want to know. I mean, we've kind of talked to our panel. The introduction to this band, the introduction to this album in particular, what was your, we call it the gateway drug because here for us, music is a drug. What was the gateway uh, for you to this band and this album? You hit on something earlier, which I think was true, that I'm sure that my first image was through MTV, through the Jeremy video. But I don't think that's what made me a fan. Because what made me a fan was from the movie, from the great Cameron Crowe movie, Singles, which came out in 1992, is if you look back at that movie, and I didn't know it at the time, but that was defined by the great Seattle sound. I mean, Alice in Chains is in that movie. You got Screaming Trees, you've got Mud Honey, you've probably got Heart in there. And one of my favorite scenes early in that movie, Kira Sedgwick is dating this guy and it's going along well. And so much so that, you know, she gives him a garage opener. And it's like, hey, next time, just just come on in. And it's a big deal. They really focus on this garage opener. And so she gives it to this guy. And I think he's foreign. And I think he said, <laughs> hey, I'm leaving town. And she said, great. So use it when you come back. So then... She's sad because this guy she met is going out of town. So she's got this brunette friend and like, hey, let's go out dancing tonight. So they go out dancing. They're at this great club. And there's this song playing in the background. And I'm like, that song was Say to Love and Trust. And then you look over, she looks over and she sees the guy. He was very much in town. <laughs> so he wasn't leaving town. And then she goes outside crying with her friend. But in the background, there's Say to Love and Trust. And I'm like, Man, I love that song. I don't know what it means, but I love the song. And then you go through that movie, and then Matt Dillon's character, mm -hmm. he's basically playing Eddie Vedder, and he's in a band <laughs> called Citizen Dick. And who's in his band but Eddie Vedder, <laughs> Jeff Heyman, yep. Mike McCready, and Stone Gossard. And mm -hmm. the drummer of Citizen Dick is Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder. So <laughs> there's that great diner scene, too, in the movie where – you know, there's this review out about how, how their band is playing. And actually, one of, in the write-up, one of the towns, it says, you know, Matt Dillon's character, he'd be better off playing in small towns like Minneapolis. Mm. But mm. then there's the whole part of, you know, he says, hey, Eddie's like, hey, don't, I don't want to read anything negative about me, man. Okay. So Eddie's reading the review and there's this, this silence for like a minute and a half because they're just ripping Matt Dillon. But then they, they, then the review wraps up by saying how great, you know, Eddie was and how great Stone was and how great Jeff and all these guys were so good. And I'm like, so that movie, that great movie is what really got my interest going into Pearl Jam, but also just the Seattle sound and, and you know, Lane Staley and how healthy he looked in that movie mm -hmm. and he's singing wood awesome and that great harmony with with jerry Cantrell. and it just it is rolling it's great and so to me yes jeremy was probably the first image i had of the band but it was state of love and trust to this day that when i if i'm if i'm at a show and that song plays man i go right back to to when i'm you know 14 13 14 years old all over again joe i believe I believe we would call that a pop-up in pop culture. Pop-up in <laughs> pop culture. I, I, I agree. I like the VH1 pop-up video that, kind of little jingle that you're going to hear. Yeah. 
No, it's nothing like that. It's nothing, nothing like, like that. that. Actually, we don't have the rights to say that. <laughs> no, it's a, but that's I, I love that. And and I'm curious. You know, you described your ability 13, 14, 15 to see movies and check out music. And I mean, was that? Did you have a household full of music, or how did you? I mean, how did you access the music that you're talking about? My mom, uh, recently retired aerobics teacher, so God she bless was her. actively you know, you look at it now, but she would update her music all the time. And she would always be, and it was a lot harder. You know, this is pre, you know, Napster and pre all the ways that you could download music. Do, do you know yeah. how pre Napster is as a reference? That is pre, pre, pre. <laughs> pre. We're talking about how yes. much, how easy it is now to build right. a in a fitness class. You want to build an hour long list of music. Oh man. Pretty simple. That, you know, my mom back then, she was piecing it together with cassette tapes or however she could do it. So I would just hear music because she would always want to update her, her, her musical catalog for her classes. But it was music was, was just a big part of what we heard and what we listened to. And then um, my first concert was a Pointer Sisters concert. And I was probably five, <laughs> six. Mama didn't care. She's like, I'm going. We're not going to babysit her. You're going. <laughs> and I, I think I heard the song, you know, Jump for My Love. But then I remember I passed out probably an hour later. I mean, I don't, I don't remember the end, but I definitely remember going to Pointer Sisters. That was my first concert. I was probably about five or six years old. Awesome. That is so much cooler than Matchbox 20. I don't know who has that as their first concert experience, but um, so I mean, you had that you had that connection. You were able to get into music. Um, you mentioned Pointer Sisters. Not that that's not a real concert. What was your first real concert? One that you said, "Hey, I'm going to go get a ticket. I'm going to go." Yeah, Beastie Boys. Mm. Beastie Boys. Probably Ill Communication was probably one that I really wanted to go see. And I did, I went with some buds from high school. That was an awesome, that was an awesome show. But seeing, you know, Beastie Boys, Chicago, that was a memorable, I just, I, I know where I was. That was a great, great show. And they played all the great hits and seeing, you know, Rest of Soul, MCA, Crush It, and the King Ed Rock, and Mike D, and it just, it was, that's a great show. So seeing Beastie Boys on the Ill Communication Tour, was uh, was was pretty awesome. And you grew up in Chicago. Um, would you have access to shows? I mean, your parents permissive on that, or was it like a big, you know, yeah, third degree? Did, yeah, we would go, but we, when I was when I was that age, it didn't define me. It wasn't. I had other th my friends. We weren't all into going to shows a lot. We were. We all played sports, so we all hung out, but it wasn't. It wasn't, it, we look, I look back on it now how foolish it was that we didn't drive, you know, Tinley Park. Yes, it was going to be bad traffic, but to go see a really good band at a cool outdoor venue would have been pretty sweet. I did more of that in college and probably later in high school, but we didn't see a ton of shows. Uh, Dave Matthews Band, I probably went to see Dave Matthews Band, you know, a few times during that era as well. But, you know, my, my, my Pearl Jam concert experience, that did not begin until probably college when I would see them and then po certainly post-college, I would go wherever I could. And the hard part about that was I lived my first seven years out of school, I lived in the South. And Pearl Jam didn't play in the South too often. I mean, they were not touring into North Carolina 
Uh, maybe they hit Atlanta once in a while, but they were not North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, uh, Alabama. That's where I lived. And so there weren't many Pearl Jam local concerts I could go to during that time in my life. Yeah, and you are scratching an itch of many, many Pearl Jam fans right now. They're saying, you're right. Corey's right. They don't play the South. Now, you're, you're obviously a big Pearl Jam fan, and you kind of mentioned Dave Matthews. Are there other bands that... Are there other bands that really draw your attention to the point where you're going to go out and you're going to follow them, or you're going to you're going to catch a show out of town? Um, you know, similar to how you would with Pearl Jam. There was a band, and maybe you've heard of these guys, um, the Freddie Jones Band. I'm not sure if you, if you're familiar with them. They were they never made it, made it, and I never knew why. Uh, I love their music, and they've since broken up, and they've had you know fights and turmoil, but. That was a band in, in, in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s that I loved. U2, I've never been disappointed by seeing a U2 show ever, ever. It just, it's, 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 it's an experience. It's, you know, three and a half hours of just, of seeing brilliance and seeing four dudes to just crush it. So I love going to that. Um, you know, my, my kids are eight and six. I know the day is going to come when I'm going to have to go to like a, a big time rush or whatever the equivalent's going to be here in the next five years, whatever the next Justin Bieber, NSYNC, Chumbawamba, one, Chumba, one Direction, whatever the next wave of that is going yeah. to be, I know for a fact mom ain't going. So it's going to be A, dad, can you get us tickets? B, can they be good tickets? And see, and this will come from mom, you're going, we're not, I'm not. So, so that's going to be on my plate, I know, in the future. What is your what is your concert crew look like? Sometimes, And if it's not, that's if it's just you, I get it. I've been there I've too, done that so. before. I, I, yeah. I don't mind doing that. But my brother, for, for Pearl Jam shows, my, my, my older brother, John, um, we, we go to a lot of shows together. Uh, my wife, bless her heart, she's many things. She's awesome. She's never coming with me to a show. Uh, she doesn't love the band, which is okay, but she doesn't like, I'm going to quote her here, the standing around and how loud it is. <laughs> <They're> well, so... <laughs> if that's, if that's it's kind well, of part of the show, X's. those are two X's on my, yes. so, <laughs> so it was, so it's, yes. Yeah, so when I go see Pearl Jam, it's going to be, and she knows this, this is, we've been together a long time. She knows that she's not coming and a, she's not invited. <laughs> But then he's not coming. So we we've settled that. So that's not that's not a point of contention in our relationship anymore. Um, let's set aside, uh, you know, work schedule, kids, all that. You got tickets to a show, a Pearl Jam show. You got your buddies, whoever's going with you. What is what's your pregame routine? Because and I say that because. I mentioned earlier, Ben, Ryan, Han, and I all were at PJ20, and there was definitely a scene ahead of time. You showed up. Some of us stood in line for the stupid poster and the rain and all that garbage. But um, people have – it's like a tailgate. It's like an event. So what's your what's your pregame event for a Pearl Jam show? Yeah, I, I, I like getting there early. I never want to be rushed. I don't want to race down. So that's, again, with, with my wife, that when a Pearl Jam show comes around, it's, it's not a day-long commitment, but it's it's a half day. I mean, the show might be at seven, but I'm out. I check out probably around two or two or three that day. Yeah. So we will go down. Like we went to the St. Paul show in 2014, which was incredible. And we probably got down. We, we drank at some of the bars, you know, around the X uh, two hours, two and a half hours before the show. And just, it's a happy place because everybody there, regardless where they're from, regardless what they vote on, 
regardless about their feelings about whatever. Everybody agrees that they love this band, that they are there to see live music, but they're there because this band has shaped them in some positive way that whatever problems exist at their home, personal, financial, political, professionally, what have you, that's on hold, that's on pause for about you know three and a half hours. And that's fun. And then you just start, you pulling up, you just start chatting with people. It's such an easy way to start conversations with people you don't know. Where are you from? Oh yeah, how many, show, how many shows have you seen? What, what's your favorite? What are you hoping to see tonight? Hey, did you hear what they played the night before? And that's another thing. What they played the night before, they're not gonna play that night. I mean, that's, I love that for the band too. And, and, and you know, reading and watching all the, the documentaries about how much time Eddie puts into the set list and the input from the guys too, that it's a different show. It's a different show every night. And that is amazing. And I, they'll play the bangers, they'll play the hits and they'll sneak in one or two that, and I'm like, oh, I didn't think they'd play that. But man, <laughs> it's, that, that's a part of it for me is the, is the pre, is the pre-game, if you will, uh, just kind of hanging out, whether it's in a parking lot or if it's at a bar or two before the show. But I don't like drinking too much before a concert because I don't want to go to the bathroom. You know, <laughs> I, I just want to sit there and I, I may have won. I'm like, I want to watch the show. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I get my drinking in uh, before a concert, not so much during. Are you one of the guys that like you know how you go to a ball game and you see you know you're a baseball guy I go, go to a lot a, of ball games yep. you go to a lot of ball games you're familiar yep. you know the game of baseball yep. and people sit there and they've got their book and they're keeping score which I for a while I was like you know trying on hats as a fan like maybe I'll be that guy and then mm -hmm. I'm like what am I what what I'm gonna what am I Dick Bramer you know Dick Bramer the TV guy mm -hmm. he he talks about well I look back and I read the games from 30 years ago and I'm like man. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and I'm being very sarcastic. So are you the guy at a Pearl Jam show? Because you see them. They've got their phones out and they're checking off like, all right, uh, I need this song off of Versus. I need this song off of no. like checking off songs that they've seen or not. Dur during the show, phone is on Do Not Disturb. Uh, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not. I maybe have taken a video of something I'm sure I have maybe State of Love and Trust played and I was talking to my son about that beforehand and I wanted to get a minute of it, fine. Or Porch played, fine. But during the show, locked in. I, I, am, I am locked in on the band, uh, phones in my pocket. It's not, no, it's, it's off uh, because I, I want to soak in that moment and especially now. And I'm sure all you guys, regardless if it's Pearl Jam or any band, just envisioning post-COVID, or post-pandemic, what it's going to be like to be back in that arena, in that stadium. Uh, I, it's going to be emotional. I just, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now, about how cool that's going to be when that day comes. And I know Eddie's, as we're, we're, we're taping this now, Eddie is touring with the, with, you know, the Earthlings right now, which is a great group of musicians, but, and um, yeah, I'm sure it's awesome. I've seen some of the videos on YouTube and it looks cool, but man, I, that, that just whets my appetite for, the main event uh, whenever mm -hmm. that comes well now Corey, you've been a parent for longer than all of us on the panel um and i know we're all uh big music fans here obviously and all of us are making attempts to inculcate our children <laughs> with our love of music so you mentioned you know your son do you have any advice for how to make your children love the music that you love 
And if so, what is it? <laughs> you just you just you play it, but then you have to act like that that you love it. It's not just on in the background. You may have to grab. It's got to be air guitar. It's got to be air drumming. It's got to be you grab any oven mitt and you make yes. it look cool. And you jump up and down on the couch and you look like Eddie Vedder, you know, climbing light fixtures Oof. and stadium whatever it was back in the early '90s. You make it look cool. And so there are videos of my kids when they were five, four, mm. whatever, they got the name of the song wrong, but they thought it was Butterman. And <sighs> they couldn't say Betterman, but they would say Butterman. And those videos pop up, you know, on your phone now, you know, this, this happened four years ago. And you get that Google update and you see your kids rocking out to, to, to a Pearl Jam <laughs> song that we sang in the car that we were messing around with at home. So they they like Pearl Jam. They know that Pearl Jam is played in the house quite often. Um, it's probably second to Encanto right now. Oh, uh, and if you're not familiar <laughs> with Encanto and you don't have young kids, well, that is, I mean, don't call me Bruno is uh, is certainly higher on the playlist right now than <laughs> I expected about a month ago. So we're doing a lot of don't call me, don't talk about Bruno here. And listeners that uh, are familiar with the Butterman and have listened to our Bob Dylan episode, we'll know that the Butterman is the one who was tangled up in glue. <laughs> despite despite his oiliness. Uh, ben, ben, what was it? What was your daughter? Uh, she had an album, not like a kid album, but like a real live album song that she just loved. What was that? A few years ago, you told us. No, when she was really little. Yeah, she was like. Uh, it wasn't an album, it was a song. Florence and the Machine. What was the song? <laughs> Dog days are over, and uh, it was it was honestly one of the first words that she learned to say, and it was a one a one word dog days, dog and days. it would <laughs> I distinctly remember our our uh, our host Joe being at her house with the cell phone shoved in his face saying dog days dog days. I'm like, <laughs> are you guys allowing screen time? Uh, your daughter's asking me to turn on music. I don't know. <laughs> talk days i i love that because that's something i think it's it goes to that kind of i don't want to say generational but you know you listen to music and it's something that's passionate and music hits you and it connects you and to your point Corey, you talk about these big you know these events where everyone's there locked in for the same thing and and i think that that kind of talks about the power and the emotion you know of this of this album and i and i i love hearing that <laughs> there are ways that that bleeds to other people because quite frankly at the end of the day, I don't know where some of this stuff goes. I don't know. I'm yeah. thinking about music. I don't know where it goes. But if it seeps into another person's world and they just say, you know what? I love Dog Days or I love Encanto or, you know what? Dad sings a funny song with me and jumps on the couch. Which, by the way, if there's video of that, feel free to share it. We'll put it out on social. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love knowing that it goes goes somewhere. Um, Corey, you, you, how did you get your start in, in broadcast? And we'd be remiss not to ask you about that. I mean, it's not like you go to school to be a broadcaster, right? Or is that how it happens exactly? Yeah, I went to school to be a broadcaster. <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's exactly how I kind of went. But, you know, I, uh, you know, I love sports. You know, I grew up in Chicago, and the, the time I grew up, it was, it was a who's who of just incredible broadcasters. Um, you know, Wayne Larrabee has been doing the Packers forever, but he was – Calling Bears games on the radio, he was great. Uh, Harry Carey, of course, was doing the Cubs, and Hawk Harrelson doing the White Sox, and Jim Durham doing the Bulls, and Pat Foley doing the Blackhawks. It was just these amazing voices 
uh, that you would hear or see, that would be interesting. Uh, but then I was lucky to grow up during the Jordan years. I mean, the Bulls were everything. I mean, the Bulls, to bring it back to music, they were the Beatles. I mean, they were the traveling, there was rock stars. I mean, they were incredible. Um, so I just, I, I, grew, I loved sports growing up. And then my cousin, my mom's the youngest of four. My cousin, Brad, has been calling the Dallas Cowboys on the radio for, for gosh, for over 40 years. So when I was old enough to realize what he did for a living, I thought you can, you can have this love and passion for sport. And obviously your athletic talent only carries you so far, which mine peaked at about age three. Uh, <laughs> so then it was, so then it was, how, how can I still be invested in this? And, um, and it was, you know, I learned that my cousin has a career doing this. So that was, that was what started it for me. Then I was on Sundays, I turned the sound down and, clip out rosters for the Bears Packers games and call the game off the TV. And my brother would come in my room and say, what are you doing? And we'd fight. And I'd say, this is going to be my career one day. And uh, then I, yeah, then I went to college. I went to Syracuse university and they've got a great uh, broad journalism school and their, their broadcast journalism program is, is exceptional. So I, I just graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism and then uh, my career began in, in, uh, in the South. I was in Blacksburg, Virginia for three years. And I was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina for three years. I was in Birmingham, Alabama for a year. And then a big break uh, came my way with, uh, with the Cubs and, and WGN Radio in, uh, in uh, I guess it would have been in March in 2007. I can imagine what the class of broadcast junior journalist uh, candidates must have been like. Were there any uh, interesting characters in that class? That I went to school with? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of guys that are my best friends are doing great. You know, Adam Shine. Uh, if you heard of him, he's he's big in the NFL. He's got a national radio show every day on on satellite radio. Then he does uh, some TV work. He's one of my best friends. Andrew Catalan is doing games the for CBS, the NCAA tournament, and does golf in CBS. He's one of my best friends. So I, I was lucky to go. Damon Amanda Lara's got a very popular, you know, sports show on CBS uh, radio. So these are all guys that I that I went to school with, and um, it was cool to see. You know, we all grinded it out together. We were all, you know, sitting in in the stands at, at Syracuse basketball games, practicing. You know, the game would be going on, and we would sit up in the stands and and record it onto a tape, a cassette tape, and then we'd practice, and that would get listened to by. Uh, a junior or a senior and critique you, you do it over and over again. And eventually they would clear you to, uh, to do it for real, but it took time. It wasn't just, you show up one day and say, okay, we're going to put you on the air. You had to get a work at it. So it took me about 18 months uh, when I was actually on the air at this radio station that we worked at in college. And it's this great radio station. It's the place where Mike Tirico worked and, and Bob Costas worked and Ted Koppel worked. Uh, Dick Stockton, uh, Dave Pash. I mean, the list goes on and on. All these amazing uh, announcers over the years, men and women, that uh, have 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 reached the peak in this industry. And many of them, you know, began in, in the same place that that I did in upstate New York. Mm. Um, you mentioned something. You know, you talked about as a kid. You know, you're cutting out uh, score sheets and, and lineup rosters and all that, and, and then doing the game. And it it strikes me you watch sports now and there's a lot more expected of the play-by-play 
You're not just there to call the game. You you have to bring something to it. What's your preparation when you go into a game? Um, you know, if you, you follow you on social, you talk about some of the things that you're looking at when you prep for a game. What's your prep look like for an individual game that you're calling? I think I think TV is 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 much more challenging, and I, I'll, I'll speak with baseball here. But TV I think is more challenging than radio, because we always have to call the game on radio. If the game is over from a competitive standpoint in the first inning, uh, and it's you know eight nothing or you know, those happen, we can still call the game. We still have to call the game the rest of the way. But if you're on television. You don't have to be into the play-by-play because the competitive aspect of that night's event is over. So how are you going to keep the viewer engaged for three more hours? It's hard. It's really hard to do. So in terms of pregame prep, you know, baseball, it's such a routine and you see it every day that the amount of retention that you have, I think what you are preparing for in April is different than what you're preparing for in September, because you've seen the White Sox already 16 times. You've seen the Royals 15 times. So there might be a new player or two that you have to kind of read up on, but it's just, it's reading every day. It's trying to find different angles and different websites that I use. And, you know, I I try to find out, you know, and there's all these great resources now that were not around 10 years ago, where you can find out, you know, pitchers, you know, what they're, what, what they really throw and how they throw it and why they throw it and when they throw it so that if it's an O2 count, I can say that um, Jose Barrios, his strikeout pitch this season has been his curveball. And then if he strikes out the next pitch with a curveball, it's not like, Hey, I told you so, but then you just, you just hopefully informed the listeners saying like, well, that's how it played out. Cause the stats said that Jose Barrios has been throwing his curveball O2 and you can really, there's so many numbers now. You can almost get lost. And I think that's at times can be a crutch um, because you can fall too far on the numbers and not still have the human aspect to it. And it's, it's changed drastically the last two years. With COVID, we've not had the same access to players that we had uh, in 2019. So it's been more challenging because you just, you just can't always go down. If I had a question for, for Joe Maurer, I could just race down to the field and be like, hey, Joe, I forgot to ask you X, Y, and Z. But now if I have a question for Josh Donaldson, I just can't because of COVID and how the and how the restrictions are are in place, I just can't go down and get that answer. I may not get it till the next day. And then you have to just bring it back. It's not the end of the world and be like, hey, you know, I was trying, we were Danny and I were talking yesterday about why Donaldson, you know, has been trying to elevate the ball a bit more here. And couldn't get the answer yesterday, but I talked to him today and you can bring it back. So it's not like it's in the past that it's so far dated, but just set it up in a way that, okay, we just couldn't have access to Josh today, but we'll work on it get the answer and get back to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What's the, and this is, this is a super tough, tough thing to pick, I'm sure. But the sports call that you've personally made uh that you're most proud of or that you just is memorable for you in some way shape or form uh i've I've been lucky enough to be behind the mic for some cool things um sammy sosa's 600th home run uh that was pretty neat i called gary sheffield's 500th home run Uh, i was on the call for when um jared weaver no hit the twins 
that was Angels Twins in 2012. Those that those, those are neat moments. So, um, in terms of the Twins, I think back to to uh, to 2015. Uh, one of my favorite games was uh, Twins are playing the Tigers, and it was a four game weekend series leading up to the All Star break. And the Twins lost the game on Thursday. And Friday, they were getting crushed. And then they had this miraculous rally in the ninth inning. And they won the game on a Brian Dozier walk-off home run off Joaquin Soria. And and Brian Dozier was deserving of an all-star, but he was the, the team was bad. So, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't there yet. He eventually got in. But I think we found out two days later, so-and-so, I forgot who the player was that, that couldn't go. He was a replacement player. But it was seeing Dozier at that home run and that kind of ended the Tigers run too that weekend because then the twins won Saturday, won Sunday, and then the twins and then the Tigers began trading David Price and you had And so that was the beginning of the end of that great Tigers run when they were, you know, winning pennants and winning AL central championships year after year. Well, that ended and that's when the Royals rise began. So that was pretty neat, but my favorite moment, and it's not, it's not, it's not twins related, but it goes back to uh, growing up. I was this diehard Cub fan. It was my favorite team in the world. I love the Cubs, and so I had this dream of an opportunity in 2007 to, to work on the Cubs radio broadcast. And I was 28 years old. I was single, and I just was like, I can't believe I'm riding on the team charter with, with these players. And this is so cool. Well, Ron Santo. Uh, is a guy that, you know, he passed away in 2010, Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame player, but then he was a beloved broadcaster on the radio for many, many years. Well, part of my job was I would do the pregame show, I do the fifth inning play-by-play with Ron, and then I would do the postgame show. But also, the Ron, uh, he, was, he was a diabetic, he had prosthetics in both legs, and he never complained, but part of my job was to make sure that he was okay getting around. So we developed this great relationship and he was a big reason why that I ended up marrying my wife, um, which is a separate story, but just being with him and getting to know him, this guy that my dad would tell me about as a player, how much he loved watching him when he was a kid. And then this beloved broadcaster that we listened to as a family. And now all of a sudden he's my friend and I'm, I'm, I'm rooming next to him in a, another room because, you know, if he needs, He's adding if he's adding an episode at night and he needs a Snickers bar, it's he just it's not it's not easy for him to just sit up, put his prosthetics on, and just race. So that's 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 a challenge. That's a lot. That's you. So yeah. to be there. That's me to be there. Hey, can you come on in and help out and get him a, a Snickers bar? So it was either me or our engineer Matt Bolts. We would always kind of be around for that moment. But in 2007, the Cubs clinched. Um, the wild card in Cincinnati. And part of my job was covering the post-game celebration. And so we're live on the radio and I'm with all these guys and drinking beer, champagne, pouring it all over each other. And I'm interviewing Will Oman. We're live on the radio. And uh, Will Oman was a left-handed reliever. And I said, we're just, congratulations. And he said, live. He said, Corey, you are way too dry. Let's change that right now. <laughs> so he just pops open a beer <laughs> it just pours it right on my head and we are just, you know, live doing that, having, having a great time. And I went back to the hotel that night and I'm drenched, you know, I have all these, you know, clothes on and I'm like, I didn't, 
shower right away. I didn't take it. I wanted to sit there in my hotel room and just some silence, right? And just look out the window and just take some moment, more or less meditate without meditating and just reflect on what I just experienced and not let that moment pass. It's going to, it's going to be gone in the morning. I know it, but I didn't want to wash that off my body uh, right away. So just covering that first playoff celebratory clubhouse as a cub fan now getting paid to do it uh that that to me was still number one mm. well and it's hard you know when you you start mixing sports and you start mixing music and you start mixing some of these things that really just for whatever reason you can figure it out we've tried to talk about it you know you get certain things just resonate and capture and hook you and sports and music are one of them um hard to compare to that because i've been there as a twins fan too but um is there a Pearl Jam show that you've walked out of that you felt, or, or any show for that matter, but you've walked out of and you felt, all right, maybe I'm not drenched in beer and maybe I'm not going to help the, you know, a great Hall of Famer um, <laughs> do something that he needs to do. But is there a show you've had that feeling with? Well, 14 was, was pretty special because through some twins contacts, we, we, got, we got backstage after the show and it ended up being about, uh, six, seven of us uh, with Eddie just drinking beer for hours, hours. I mean, it had to be, uh, I, we got home at two, three in the morning. And mm. I remember I woke up my wife and I, we just had our, our, we just had one kid at the time, my son. And I said to her, I said, this was the best night of my life. <laughs> he said, this is better than us getting married. This is better than your child being born. I'm like, Yes, yes. This is the best <laughs> night of my life. And we just got to sit there and, and hang out with Eddie Vedder for hours, and he was so oh great and so cool. And I and I, I met him a few times because getting back to the Cubs, he said he's a big Cub fan. So I I got to meet him. He'd come out and sing the stretch, or he'd be in town, and he loved Ron Santo. Uh, his favorite player was Jose Cardinal, but he loved Ron Santo. And he loved Randy Hundley, and you know those were all Ronnie's guys. So, you know, if he was in town, he'd come up and say, so I got to, he, he, that, he didn't remember me at all. Again, this was not how that happened, but it was just a, uh, that, that, sh I, the show was great. They opened with Pendulum and then you hear release and it's just, oh man, it's your heaven. It's in heaven. I'm just, it was awesome. But then afterwards, you know, leaving the X when we did, and it's a ghost town at that point. I mean, there's nobody around. Right. And it was, I'm not saying the sun was coming up, but it wasn't too far away, but we were, <laughs> We were there for a long time, and then they went to Milwaukee the next night. Um, I think he said he had a sore throat when he was uh, <laughs> when he was doing that show, but I, that was that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Um, well, now the last PJ question before we turn to our our beloved Ched talk, but um, you did mention he's a Cubs fan. Now the word is the local press here in the Twin Cities says that if Eddie were to pick an American League team, he may or may not pick the Twins. What do you know? Can you confirm or deny? There's a good chance. Uh, there's a good chance with that because he loves Paul Molitor. And Paul Molitor so much was when Paul Molitor was managing the Twins, he had a very cool office at Target Field. He had two signed electric guitars that were in his office. One was signed by Bruce Springsteen and the other was signed by Eddie Vedder. Um, so he was a big Paul Molitor fan. Just love Paul Molitor. And then he also was a big Justin Morneau fan. Uh, oh. And Ryan Domit, too. He 
so we were the twins were playing the mariners in 2012 yeah and um yeah and eddie was in the clubhouse and yeah he was he was hanging out with morno and and, and domit and those guys and guardy guardy knew him a little bit too but but he he loves molitor um in fact i think i think that saint paul show i think they showed molly like backstage i think then they should then they have a shot of him like backstage there and and I ripped him the next day. I'm like, are you kidding me? We chat every single day. And you forgot to mention that little nugget that you were going to the show. And you had this amazing pass. And we had these nice passes. Don't get me wrong. But you had, like, all access, man. You could go take a leak next day. I, I mean, I, I, Corey, I, I got to, you know, to borrow a sports reference, I got to throw the flag a little bit. I mean, it's you just told crazy. us you were drinking beer till 3 in the morning. And here we're shoveling coal out with the rest of the peasants. Yeah. And you're like, Molitor. Molitor's got it easy. <laughs> At the time, though, at the time, I thought we were getting the Heisman. Okay, yeah, we we didn't know what the post what the post show was going to be. We were just told like let's go back to this room. But we were in this room with you know seventy five other people. I mean, I I don't know. And it was there was no guarantees. And then it was like the last moment. Somehow we were able to get back there, and we asked, that's where we met Stone, and uh, we met Jeff, and it was it was cool. But yeah, hitting just sitting, we sat in a little half circle drinking. Stella's with with Eddie Vedder for like three hours was incredible. Well, I, I and I'm not. It was not my goal to focus on that story to one up you, but I do know our our dear friend Ryan. Ryan, you have a little bit of a brush with royalty uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I think this might be falling to one up territory here because it was a much much closer encounter. Um, <laughs> but didn't, like, uh, hit him with your car, did you? Oh no, no, and it and it wasn't with Eddie Vedder. Okay. Um, but th- this is with a different yeah. well-known person that you all will know. But I was at the PGA Championship uh, here in Minnesota at Hazeltine in uh, 2009 in August. Um, and Tiger Woods was battling uh, Y.E. Yang for the major title championship. Uh, the shadows are getting long on Sunday. Uh, and they were at, the I think, the 16th hole. They had just finished up putting. And I'd been running around the course all day drinking Budweisers and, and just going nuts because that was that was just me and my element. I was there every single day for the for the tournament, including all the practice rounds. But it's it's getting getting to be crunch time. Tiger's in a heated battle, and I go, I got to run to the porta potty here. So I sprint over to this little bank of porta potties to the left of uh, the 16th green, and I hop in there. And as I'm as I'm walking out and putting the hand sanitizer on my hands and open the door, I look up and uh, who's waiting for the porta potty that I just got out of is uh, another, none other than Tiger Woods himself is, uh, is waiting to use my porta potty. So uh, I, I, I literally oh. held it, held the door for the guy um, oh. and kind of looked around me to see what was going on. And I see all his, you know, security detail and every spectator in the whole world that was close by is, is looking over at me and i just stood oh, there next to the porta potty because i'm like when am i ever going to get closer to this guy when am i ever going to be able to hear tiger woods pee again yeah <laughs> and then he came out and i said good luck tiger and he gave me you know the head nod because he's in the thick of it here um you know battling for the major but um you know, the, Tiger went on to actually lose that major for the Ooh. first time ever um, yeah. after having a 54-hole lead going into Sunday. And and I I swear it had nothing to do with with what I did in that porta potty before. Tiger I don't know, man. There, but, uh, it doesn't look good. <laughs> 
Can you imagine how mad he would have been at you if it was number two and not number one? <laughs> oh, I know. I know. If you had to, like, hunker you down for a while, he would have been. It would have, like, right. forced you out of there, whether you were done or not. He would have had his security people break down that door. I'm in, I'm a little busy right now. Can you move? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Drag him out of there. Pants around his ankles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and then we all know what happened that fall. I mean, it was just that fall, and all the, the tiger scandal broke loose, and it all was that. Your fault. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not one to grasp at threads, but I'm seeing a common theme here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ryan cursed Tiger once. Yeah, that's that's the title of this episode. Yeah. It, so, so yeah, you know, it, it sounds you know kind of like hey, it's basically the same thing. Beers. Yeah, it's like kind of the the equivalent. Like the, yeah, yeah, basically the same. Basically the same. That's what you came here for, Corey, was to get one upped on your cool Eddie Vedder Pretty story. Good story. That's not bad. Uh, all right. That's a good important body story. Pretty well, good. let's let's do now. Our, let's now do. Let's turn to our favorite, our favorite segment with all of our guests. Uh, it is time for Ched Talk. Corey, are you ready for Ched Talk? Bring it. All right. Uh, and today, Corey, uh, you are actually playing for the charity Roots for the Home Team. What is Roots for the Home Team, Corey? Roots for the Home Team is a wonderful local nonprofit that's been around for for a few years here in here in the in the metro, and it's 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 one it's run by this woman named Sue Moores, uh, who does a fantastic job. But it's it's kids from you know at risk communities that uh, that that are looking for a way out in a way, or just a way to inspire others um, because of where they come from, and they do it by working with youth garden programs, and they work on these amazing salad creations that, that are for sale at Target Field um, during, during the summer months. And they've got this great stand. And But these kids come up with these recipes. Then we work with local chefs to kind of put all the ingredients together and, and the dressings. But it's locally farmed. And it's a wonderful program. And these kids are, these are kids from, from some tough areas and some, some tough backgrounds. And it's not just the salad themselves, but then it takes a lot to say to a complete stranger, hey, would you like to try this? It teaches them confidence uh, to be out there in front of, you know, a, of a nice Saturday or Sunday afternoon, 30,000 people hoping that uh, you'll try this great creation. So it's a wonderful cause. Uh, my wife and I, are, we, we preach a healthy lifestyle. And so this was just a great connection. So, um, yeah, my wife and I were on the board. Uh, for for many years, and it's a great it's a great group, and so rootsforthehometeam.org is the website to learn uh, more information. Real Wolf Record Club listeners, make sure you check out rootsforthehometeam.org. That sounds I, I got a little misty thinking about that scene. By the way, thirty thousand fans, Target Field, a Saturday Sunday, uh, a great charity to support. I love it. So with that, <clears throat> let's turn to Ched Talk with Corey Provis. All right. Uh, you're a sports broadcaster. Those are my papers shuffling. Uh, you're a poor sports broadcaster. What's on your broadcasting blooper reel? There have been many times where, um, where you just can't stop laughing. And the guy that, that broke me more than once is the great Bob Euchre. And Bob Euchre was my broadcast partner for three years when I worked on the Brewers games. And so Bob... Bob would have this ability 
and he knew it to make you laugh in a way and you had to keep going you just couldn't stop you had sponsor reads to get in what have you and we carried the last few bars of this national anthem one day and the woman that, that sang the anthem this day imagine marge simpson but instead <laughs> of the hair it was like every piece of produce imaginable there's this towering look of produce and so bob is going to take it out of the anthem and throw it to me for starting lineups and he says the chiquita banana with our national anthem <laughs> the lineups here's Corey. legend laughter ensued dead air ensued did not finish my responsibilities so eventually we went to break <laughs> and we we tried again on the other side so that, that's that's one of many so uh, that was a that was a good one then we had danny and i had a couple years ago man we had cheryl teagues i don't know if you know who that is cheryl teagues yeah. was a beautiful model sports illustrator she was in town promoting something and she drank something or took something before the game and it wasn't working well uh, and then she stopped by for a third inning, fourth inning chat, and she was off the rails. And Danny <laughs> and I are trying to keep her on the train tracks, and it was it was a disaster. Tom Bernanski was the hitting coach back then, and he texts he texts Danny after the half inning is over because you know Tom is inside the cage while the team's out playing defense. He's working, he's looking at film, or he's working with a couple of guys on the bench. And he texts Danny. He's like, "Well, that was interesting," <laughs> and that was, it really was. So, so the, the sheer, Deadspin picked up on it. So it was on Deadspin. So you could probably find it. But my goodness, that was that was that was that was a highlight reel for Danny and I a few years ago. Mm. Uh, you're a Chicago guy. Uh, this is a two part question. Isn't deep dish pizza just an uncaramelized blob of cheese with some tomato sauce on it and a pie crust? And if so. Yeah. Where is your best place in Chicago to get a slice of blob pie? It's heaven. Heaven. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love deep dish pizza. Uh, my favorite, my favorite, so my wife loves Lou Malnati's. Very popular, very popular place. Uh, there's a place in the northern suburbs that, that my brother and I like called Piero's. Um, so mm. we like that. In the city, I, Giordano's is great um that that's also you can't go wrong but i don't do the i don't do the mall ones you know i don't do mm. the those chains or the hey that stuff that that won't do it for me so um i i do like i do like some deep dish pizza and uh it's 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 special we love it but my wife and i again we don't argue about many things but we do argue about pearl jam concerts and uh and deep dish pizza I, I like the cut of her jib. Uh, your favorite piece of Pearl Jam memorabilia? I've got this, uh, I, I carry with me in my work bag, I carry a, a Eddie Vedder guitar pick he gave to me. Um, that's pretty cool. So that, that goes wherever I go. Uh, so that's, my, that's in my work bag, whether it's baseball or that's football or basketball. So EV is with me there. And then I got this awesome picture from a day in 07 when Eddie sang the stretch. And it was a gorgeous Saturday afternoon at Wrigley, you know, summer, Ivy's full bloom, looks great. And it's, and it's me, Eddie, Ron Sano, and Pat Hughes, uh, the four of us. And I am like, I got this red face going and all the marketing people are like making fun of me afterwards being like, I know you were very happy. I'm like, yes, I was. That was a good day. <laughs> but that, that, that picture that I got with him and, and, and Sano especially is, uh, is pretty cool. And then that uh, Eddie Vitter uh, guitar pick 
You bend Eddie Vedder's ear for one song and one song only in a set list. He says, Corey, you get to pick. What is it? State of Love and Trust. Mm. It goes back to that. You sort of teed us song. up for that. When I when I hear that opening, that opening riff, it is just oh man, that that brings me back. So that there's some amazing. That just I love the I love the band. There's so many great songs. Even the new album, like I cannot wait to hear Seven O'clock Live. I think Seven O'clock Live is going to be emotional. Um, I think that's going to be incredible. Um, I think that's just a brilliant song and speaks to the times and i i love that song so but yeah state of love and trust is uh is still the number one for me and i think that's it you win ched talk Corey provis wins ched talk here on the real wolf record club we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and get into pearl jam 10 this is the real wolf record club Welcome back to the Real Wolf Record Club. We are here with Corey Provis, play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Twins and, and many other sports. We are talking about Pearl Jam 10. Talking about Pearl Jam 10. Uh, we, we've kind of hit on it a little bit. We've kind of framed it up. Obviously, Corey's talked a lot about his passion for the band and the music. Um, we've all talked about uh, some of our biases as how much we love this band and when we've seen it and where we've seen it. But it's pretty clear. I mean, we've hit on this thing. And it's it's not unique to Pearl Jam, but in some ways it is, which is this idea that they're a great live band. They're a great live band. And we're talking about a specific album, a specific collection of songs. But, but I, I think it would be... I don't think it's possible to talk about with with the 30 years of history that this band has and all the shows they've played and all the varied set lists and all the different things they've done with these songs and how the songs have somewhat evolved over time to talk about this band as just the studio album or excuse me this album just the studio album it's very clear the live experience informs some of this whether it be the friends that you bring to the show or what you hear after the show or what you read about later it's there's something special about that um similar i have a friend who who thinks i'm insane that i spend any time listening to a grateful dead studio album he's like why would you listen to that when there's these live shows and i think it's kind of that chicken and egg thing you know the the the, the live experience versus the studio album they inform one another you can't really experience why it's special to hear a live grateful dead um what's the he's gonna comment that softball about this somewhere <laughs> he's gonna tell me there's a three song little thing that the dead do that you have to hear and and i i don't know the significance of that until i know why it's special on album and i think that's important here that's important when we go to these live shows to know why a live is what it is when you see it live um, so I, I guess I'll start before we dig right into the album and ask what's everyone, everyone here, I think has seen the band live once or, or many times, um, somewhere in between what's a favorite when well, I mean, not a favorite, but a, a live show memory, something you recall. And I'll start and just say, you know, since Ryan got to tell his super sweet story and Corey got to tell his story, um, my story is also from 20, 2014, it's actually adjacent to the live show experience. Um, in 2014, the night before the show, uh, myself, Hannah, and some others were out, good friends, out on a <laughs> 10 club Pearl Jam pub crawl. 
through downtown St. Paul. Uh, and it was a very crowded night. It was a very fun night. It was pre-COVID, and I had a little bit of a cold. So, of course, who cares? Go out, enjoy your life. You have a cold. Big deal. You're an infection. <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's cool. That's uh, nothing says cool podcast uh, to any future guest and talking about your old ear infections. Thank you, fellow panelists. Um, but... <laughs> It is true. I had an ear infection and we were out and we were in having a great time. And I think I was getting excited for the show. And so you start thinking less about you don't feel great and you're out. We ended up, uh, I believe it's Wild Times. Wild Times? Yeah. Wild yep, Onion is on brand. Yeah, Wild Times. Wild Times. I don't know if it's still there or not. Uh, a lot has changed in the intervening years, but we were at this packed bar and everyone's inside having a great time. It was the last bar we went to or last bar I went to, I should say. And uh, we're inside, and, you know, you're, you're not feeling great, and it's getting packed. I'm like, I'm going to go outside, get some fresh air. And I walk outside, and who comes walking up than none other than Stone Gossard, one of the founding members of Pearl Jam. And he's got some friends with him, and he's walking up. He's got his hands in his pocket, and he's just kind of a chilly night. It's October in Minnesota, and he's walking up. And I'm just going to say, this may not seem like much, but I played, this is my crowning achievement as a fan of anything because i played it super cool put my hands in my pocket and he walks closer closer and then i just kind of took him out showing him a non-threatening guy and he said hey stone i know who you are and trust me you don't want to go in there it's a 10 club fan club pre-party they'll tear you apart and stone kind of looked beyond me and he smirked as stone is wont to do and he said Thanks, man. Peace. And, he left. <laughs> and I went back inside and I was like, they were like, what took you so long? And I was like, ah, and I had that moment of, do I say it or do I give him just another beat to get further down the block? <laughs> and I said, well, I think I just told Stone Gossard not to come in here. And I'm not kidding. There were several people that stormed out and went in different directions to try to find Stone Gossard. But that is the that's the reference on the website. You go to realwolfrecordclub.com. You look up about us. I've got a reference to saving Stone Gossard from certain peril in a bar, and that is my favorite live show memory. But I want to open it up. I want to open it up. Um, Hannah, Ben, Ryan, you guys have all seen Pearl Jam. What's a memory you have of a Pearl Jam live show? Well, mine was when we saw Pearl Jam in Winnipeg. Um, I don't even remember when that was. It was a long time ago. 2000. In the before yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a while ago. Um, and we were walking around beautiful scenic Winnipeg <laughs> and we were walking by a skate park and who is at the skate park? It's Mark Arm and Jeff Ament and of course, Joel was like, oh, we got to go say hi, take a picture. I played and... this cool, too. I did. I was super cool about that. <laughs> you say so. Um, <laughs> so we went up and said, hi, how are you? And I mean, super nice guys asked for a picture. And Joel asked that, you know, we all do a, a thumbs up in the picture. <laughs> and I have photo proof of this. Maybe um, it'll Mark, make it to social. <laughs> Mark Arm was a sport and gave a thumbs up, but Jeff and I were like, I don't think so. <laughs> so it's a picture of 
of uh, Mark and Joe with their thumbs up and Jeff and I with our hands down. Like, eh, I don't know. We're, we're too cool for school, man. I'm not playing with that. <laughs> oh, that is so great. You're, I love that. <laughs> You're someone who throws down for your partner. I love that, Hannah. Uh, ben Ryan. <laughs> she stands alone, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, live show uh, memory of Pearl Jam. We talked about the PJ20 tour and shows. Uh, at Alpine Valley and, and how there was a bit of serendipity there when we when we met you. But uh, I'll never forget this moment from the concert. And for those listeners that haven't been to Alpine Valley, it's it's out in Wisconsin. And it's a it's a really neat venue where it's actually a big bowl. It's Legendary. Kind of like a, it's uh this is this big outdoor amphitheater that's built into the into the side of this massive hill. But the but the stage is down at the bottom, so the hill kind of creates this natu- natural uh, amphitheater and I, I've seen a bunch of concerts there uh, various bands and I've, I've always had a blast but there's this experience that you get going there where you have to walk in past the porta potties where you might or might not see Tiger Woods <laughs> and you have to come kind of up over this berm and you get to the top of the crest of this berm and you look down and you see the whole spread of the amphitheater the whole crowd and the stage and I'll never forget uh, walking down that that first little uh, embankment, and then coming up to the top of the hill, and the first song that they're playing is "Release," and just the the moodiness of that song, and how people are kind of starting to fill in, and it has this kind of really flowing kind of uh, building sound at the beginning, and it just like it, it, it's one of those moments where you say like the air is electric. And you just feel like raw emotion just flooding over this whole crowd and people and there's just buzz and you're starting to get excited about this uh, set list to come, which ends up being very disappointing from my perspective. <laughs> it was like all this electricity in the rain just brought it all down. Uh, because if, if anyone will go look at uh, the set list from uh, Alpine Valley in, I believe it was 2011, uh, there was two nights of shows at Alpine Valley and night one was your deep cut night and night two, which was a Sunday I didn't attend, was a real, <laughs> just a gem of a set list. It was every song, almost every song from Pearl Jam that I loved uh, and I missed out on. So there's my Pearl Jam, one and only Pearl Jam concert experience. And you've hit, I will note for our listeners who are uh, big Pearl Jam fans, you uh, the night one, Pearl Jam 20, is a is a night of contention. Uh, some people point to the song, the cover song, Arms Aloft, as where things uh, went off the rails, as they say. Uh, but you've, you've definitely hit on it. It was, it was a very polarizing performance, night one. Well, I will say in retrospect, though, on night one, we did get Chris Cornell singing Temple of the Dog, yeah. which... That's mm. now looking back on it. That's a pretty special moment. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's. I'm looking at the set list, and they played some Temple of the Dog songs. And um, depending on who you ask, you know, you can get different opinions on the the rest of the set. But the Temple of the Dog moment is 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 really really special. So let's dig into it. You know, here here obviously we're not we're not professional music uh, critiquers or writers. We're we're passionate passionate fans. We love what we love. We see live music. We love albums. Um, we like to hit the high points, uh, the big top, the big points, the big edges of each album. And on this one, favorite song for me 
you know, we started let off talking about the live music experience. And for me, I'll be very brief on this. I've been, uh, for those of you who have attended music uh, or live shows with me or a Pearl Jam show, you know, hands down, to your point, Corey, State of Love and Trust, for me, very similar. The song I want to see at every show, not just limited attend, every show. It's the song, this is a bold claim coming for all the deep, deep, try-hard Pearl Jam fans out there. This is the song that should be their closer, period, is Alive. This this song for me, you can watch Eddie, they, that Pearl Jam has a documentary in 2006, Imagine in Cornus, where Eddie talks a little bit about how this song has evolved over time into this anthemic experience for people. That it's, it's an anthem of perseverance, it's an anthem of I'm still here despite everything life can give me. And the song just goes. It just goes. And so, to me, this is a song that I want to see every show, every set, no matter what. Um, that that's for me. Uh, it's pretty pretty easy answer there. But Corey, I'm curious. What is what is your favorite song off of Pearl Jam Ten? My favorite song from from Ten is Release, and I think it wasn't my favorite song probably ten years ago. Uh, but as I look at my own mortality and I think about my, my family and I think about my parents who are, are still with me, thank goodness, you know, when he says, dear dad, can you, can you see this now? Uh, that resonates with me more at 43 years old than it did at 33. And so, you know, if you would have asked me that question years ago, probably would have said porch. Um, because I just love the opening of that song. I love the energy of that song. I just, it just gets me going. It's a great hype song, but now I'd probably go with, with release. And what's odd is that it's such a, it's such a great song as Ben was saying to begin a show with, but it was the last track on, on the album. I mean, it was the final track on 10 and yet it's such a, it's such a common song now that we think of that that's going to often begin a show on a particular night. Mm. Um, Ryan, you have a, you have a connection to, you've, we, we talked about this before, you know, release, there's some elements of that song that you just love. What was your favorite song on this, this album? Was it release or something different? Uh, it was release as well. Yeah. I get, I get goosebumps every time I, I listen to this song, you know, part of it was, you know, walking into Alpine as Ben said, and coming over the, the hill and, and, and just seeing them just open with this song, the whole experience just. Every time I listen to it, I kind of get transported back there, and it was just awesome. But I find the lyrics super powerful as well. You know, once I kind of dug into what they mean, um, kind of looked up the meaning behind it, and you know, if you listen to it, you get a, a little bit of a, a feel for what Eddie's singing about here. But yeah, I mean, I lost my dad when I was younger, and Eddie had his struggles with his dad, and I just feel like, yeah, there's just a little bit of a connection to. To what he's actually singing about there and the emotion behind it um for me at a personal level mm. yeah and i love that i love that you know you guys we've obviously joked about pro jam 20 but you know you you saw this song this powerful emotional song with your friends um and everyone has their own takeaway from from that experience too ben you saw this very same song what was your favorite song on the album was it release was it something different it's something different it, it is that does contain my favorite moment Mm -hmm. on the Pearl Jam 10 album, which is I'll Ride the Wave, I'll Hold the Pain, Release Me. That is the <clears> moment. <throat> that is the moment that gives me chills. That's a, that's a crusher. That's a crusher. <laughs> but, but, that is, but that is a, a you know very similar feeling. Just And just the, 
the raw emotion and passion in which Eddie Vedder delivers those lyrics and then the the build of Release Me. Oof, that's good. But for me, uh, this was impossible, nearly impossible (laughs) to pick out a song because it's it's like one of those albums where you have a different song that's your favorite for the different time or the different mood or the different venue. (laughs) But I kept coming back to Black. And uh, I think it's just a, a good blend of all things that are Pearl Jam and all things that are this album where you have it, it's one of the slower songs, but it still has this power. Uh, Eddie just kills it with the vocals. Uh, and then it almost made my playlist for this album. Uh, teaser which would have alert. been Teaser alert, which would have been called Stars in Someone Else's Sky. Hannah, you we've heard release, we've heard alive. What what was your favorite song on the track on the album? My favorite song. Before we even had this discussion, I I was like, oh, I should try to come up with a deeper cut. It's black. I love the song Black. It's such a good song. I love seeing it live. Being on the floor in a crowd, singing along, like screaming those lyrics with Ed is just that's just an incredible experience. Well, you're you are our our resident word nerd, so now I think it's a good time to turn to our word nerd. Where what did you pick for us today, word nerd? Ben and I are speaking the same language here because my favorite lyrics to that song have always been, I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be a star in somebody else's sky, but why, why, why can't it be in mine? Um, and that's the best part to show <laughs> with the crowd at a show. Um, and I feel like it's one of those lyrics that like, I don't know, I feel like everyone's been able to resonate with something like that at some point in your maybe, you know, I think for maybe a lot of us and, you know, maybe those angsty, like late teen-ish years or something like that when you know somebody maybe doesn't feel the same way that you do about a relationship and you know they're going to be happy with someone else you know why can't it be me well i mean it's got you don't you you kind of framed it too as a little bit of like it's something we experienced in earlier years um because clearly you're you're with a super cool guy now um but (laughs) but i mean you look but you if you if you don't feel that you don't feel the the just in your core that part of that heartbreak, and I hope no one ever has. But you can easily, if you have, you you know what it's like to think you're this is such a great person and they're not choosing me. Oof! You don't have a pulse if you can't feel that somewhere in your core. Well, obviously, there's a lot a lot of uh, emotional cords we're pulling out of this, and uh, one of the things we like to do though is we're not all heavy, we're not all sad, we're not all serious, we're not all emotional. Uh, most of us, uh, but one of the things we do like to pull out here on the Real Wolf Record Club is one of our favorite segments. It is time to put it on a playlist with Ben. Ben, what did you put on a playlist today? Before I even talk about what I put on the playlist <laughs> this time, I want to direct our listeners to the Real Wolf Record Club website where they can listen to these playlists. They're embedded in the website. It's some fancy stuff that our um, expert website designer has done. 
But you can also go on Spotify if you haven't canceled it yet. And <laughs> you can search for Real Wolf Record Club. Take that, Rogan. Uh... <laughs> Follow the Real Wolf Record Club on Spotify, and all of the playlists will be there. They're all, they will also be on Apple Music for those of you that have canceled Spotify but still love music and need to consume it. Uh, you can get the playlist on Apple Music as well. But I went through many playlist ideas before I finally settled on one. I thought, like I said before, Stars in Someone Else's Sky, let's talk about some breakup songs. We could do the And 10 mixtape, oh, uh, which God. is uh, Mookie Blaylock's warm-up music <laughs> uh, for, for getting out on the court. It must be so hard and, being you. God. And I also thought, <laughs> what do I do with all of this information? What do I do with all these playlist ideas? I thought, wouldn't it be cool to make a playlist called 11 that had 10 songs on it oh, God. and take a song from 10 that has 11 songs on it <sighs> and make that playlist? But what I came up with and settled on is Grungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. So... These are the grunge songs to blast while you're slaying your musical dragons. And I want you all to increase your hit points with some flannel armor and Doc Martin combat boots. Uh, so just, you... just so you know, hold on. Just so you know, Ben is a former wedding DJ. So all this stuff, just imagine somewhere in Podunk, Minnesota, you're hearing this dude's voice about to announce whatever crappy wedding song he's about to play. <laughs> And now we're going to get at you with another chicken dance. <laughs> Followed by the electric slide. Um, <laughs> no, but on this Grungeons and Dragons playlist, we're going to get right into it, into battle with our, bar with our bard, Even Flow by Pearl Jam. We're going to bring along a fighter, Outshined by Soundgarden. Our cleric will be in our raiding party as well. Oh my God, you got really into this. Holy crap. Yeah, I actually don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Come As You Are by Nirvana. And then finally, also in the crew, is The Barbarian, Them Bones by Allison Chains. Ooh. That's just a preview. Listen to the rest on our website, Spotify, Apple Music. Oh, man. Check it out. Yeah, that is a, as a wavelength I didn't know you had. <laughs> And that was put it on a playlist with Ben. Ben is exactly right. Go to realwolfrecordclub.com. Check out our playlists. You can follow the playlist. Uh, and even better, you can follow the podcast and figure out all, uh, all the context you need to understand what the hell Grungeons and Dragons is all about. Check us out on Instagram at realwolfrecordclub.com. Twitter, realwolfrc. Uh, we got a little bit more here. We're going to finish up, come back, and give this album 10 by Pearl Jam our very own patented Real Wolf Record Club rating. Hey, this is Corey Provis with the Minnesota Twins, and you're listening to my guys, my crew, the podcast, Real Wolf Record Club. Enjoy. And we're back with the Real Wolf Record Club talking about Pearl Jam 10 with our friend Corey Provis of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, we've gone through a lot. Uh, we've gone through stories with Tiger Woods. We've gone through stories with uh, Eddie Vedder. We've had uh, a deep dive into our friend Ben's 
I, you know, we call Hannah the word nerd, but man, Ben, you are making a hard play for for just nerd uh, with talking about <laughs> talking about hit points and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we've covered a lot, and I think it's easy. It's pretty clear. When we talk about these albums, people bring them to us. We talk about them. It's because they're really powerful. They're impactful. They're emotional. They they resonate live. They resonate on the album. They bring something to us, and we take something from them. Uh, that's this album, Pearl Jam Ten. Uh, that's something. It's something. And I say it was a it was a huge album. It really was. We went through the numbers. It, my calculator couldn't tell me how many streams sixty million albums would be, but it was a humongous album. In in the social psyche at the time in the 90s if you were fortunate enough to be aware at that time so what we like to do after all that is we like to put our own stamp on it hoping that you our listeners are hearing it and saying yeah i like what these guys are saying or no i hate what they're saying and respond to it but at least go listen to it go check this album out and say is is there something to why go is there some power in release is there some power in alive is there something that i can take away from this too because that's what it is to be in the real wolf record club you're part of a club you're part of a group you can listen to you can respond and you are included you are part of the real wolf record club so uh i'm the guy i'm the lame guy uh well actually Corey's kind of that guy too it sounds like <laughs> we we have our pre-games we have our post games we have our our things we look forward to we turn off our phones we ignore we lock in um but for me to me it's pretty this is a buy it again i probably bought this i bought a I bought the 10 Club special reissue in 2009. I bought the I, I bought one from Holland that was misprinted that had Carol King's tapestry on the label. It was on it was cheap that way. That's why I got it. So I mean I bought this album in so many incarnations so many times. It's very very clear to what my I'm a buy it again guy. I'm four out of four. This is a great album. So um we'll turn it over to you, Corey, our guest. You're the other resident Pearl Jam nerd here. What 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 do you give this album? Oh buy it again in a heartbeat. And it's cool. So I've I've gotten to know this guy by the name of Matt Vaughn who owns Easy Street Records in West Seattle. And it's kind of the equivalent of what Tower Records was in LA. And he it's a fascinating big record store and it's also got this cool diner kind of attached to it as well but it's just a great place and matt is he's got all these amazing stories about what what the scene was like and and some neat you know behind the scenes stuff too so great pearl jam collection but soundgarden alice and chains all the great bands from that era are, are well represented and not other bands too but it's just a great great record store that's my when I go out there, that's where I spend a lot of money. Uh, that's that's my big shopping trip, if you will, during the baseball season. It's not so much on clothes. It's not Manhattan. It's Easy Street Records. Seattle, Washington is a is a popular place for me to to do some damage in the old uh, credit card. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd buy it again in a heartbeat. It was it's my it's my favorite album uh, growing up. Um, not my favorite Pearl Jam album, uh, but it's 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 the reason I became a fan. And having I've met the guys a few times, they're great dudes, and it's, it's I love it, I love it. So I'm a huge fan. I buy it again in a heartbeat. I, I would say it's probably the only album that, if I got an email from a, I don't know, Nigerian prince saying buy this album, click here, I'd probably just be like, yeah, I'll, I'll click. All right, guy, here you go. Here's my credit. That's card the worst thing that could happen. Was the worst that could happen? Give it to me yeah. again. 
Uh, ben, what's your ranking on Pearl Jam 10? Joe, as you know, I'm I'm a notoriously hard grader when it comes to giving that buy it again. I don't know that I'm much of an album collector. I like to have albums to listen to. I'm not like my wife, who still has a uh, 1992 holiday Barbie in plastic. Shots fired. And played with. Shots fired. <laughs> it's a separate um, podcast. Separate <laughs> podcast. <laughs> holiday Barbies aside, this is one I could collect. And I, I, I said before that I'm not going to give an album a buy it again unless it's something that shapes my worldview, shapes my musical taste. Uh, and it's part of my music zeitgeist, and this has become that. And the way that I knew that is when I've listened to this album in preparation for our discussion today again and again and again, and I tried to pe- pick out my least favorite song, and I could not do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. It's a flawless album. Every song is good. Every song is needed and necessary as part of this album experience. Go listen to it, and then buy it, and then buy it again. Mm. Hannah, you're ranking for Pearl Jam 10. Oh, buy it again, definitely. I've seen Pearl Jam all over this country. I've seen them through multiple other countries. Um, you know, they're just there's something about their music. You just I just don't get tired of it. It's timeless, it's great, and I'll I'll keep listening to it until I can't listen anymore. Ryan, you cost uh, a, a classic, or excuse me, you cost someone a major, major title on the PGA Tour. You get the last word. Please <laughs> tell us what to do with Pearl Jam 10. Uh, I'm a buy it again as well. Um, I've already bought it again. I've got an album, our studio version and a live version. Uh, funny thing is i have not really a, a fan club of the band type of guy, but I did join the Pearl Jam... I, I don't even know what the, the 10 is it the 10 club oh it's the 10 club yeah i i, I joined the 10 club <laughs> 10 years ago not exactly a moderator yet but yeah. <laughs> but uh i i joined it just so i could buy a, a live show from chicago um in 95 where they just soldier I, field yeah soldier field do you um, know it's uh, that's a great Point. Do you remember the the headline in the uh, Chicago newspapers the next day after that show? No, it was awesome. No. It was I can't recall if it was the Sun Times, the Tribune, but the headline front page, Pearl Jammed. Pearl yeah, Jammed. A shot of like a helicopter shot of just <clears throat> of just Soldier Field immensely packed. Yes. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Oh no no no. So <laughs> yeah, awesome show. I. I it's not the full album of, of 10 on there, but I, I, I bought it because a lot of my favorite songs are on that album, uh, that, live, that live album. But yeah, it's this awesome album, brings me back to my youth, band I've liked forever, going back as far as I can remember, liking music, watching music videos, doing all this stuff that we don't do anymore. Um, but yeah, definite buy it again for me. Mm. I, that's a, I think that's a first. Five it's the first. out of five yeah. buy it agains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I want to encourage everybody. I had a question. Uh, a friend, uh, listener, a fan of the show said, hey, you should get links on the show, on the website to buy. And, he, and I thought that's a great point. And we want to encourage you where you can do that. It's really easy to go to an unnamed Seattle company's website 
Seattle-based, or I should say originated, company's website and buy albums. But you should always take a chance and look at your local record club, or excuse me, record store. Check their website. Here in, in the Twin Cities area, I go to electricfetus.com. They have a great selection. They will ship. They will curbside delivery. They will do whatever it takes to get you that album. So definitely, you got the Real Wolf Record Club. You got Corey Provis. He's a bigger Pearl Jam nerd than I realized. Uh, <laughs> and they, we are telling you, you absolutely not only need to buy this album, you need to buy it again. You can stream it. You can buy it. But if you do buy it, support your local independent record store uh, wherever you can. And that... Listeners, is the Real Wolf Record Club. Uh, please, please follow us, subscribe, like, share us. Visit us at realwolfrecordclub.com. Instagram, at Real Wolf Record Club. Twitter, Real Wolf RC. We have so many more exciting episodes, exciting guests coming up. Join the club, be part of the conversation, and keep listening here on the Real Wolf Record Club. This has been the Real Wolf Record Club podcast. The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. Our panelists were Ryan McInnes, Hannah Vantomi, and I'm your host, Joe Vantomi. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. On Twitter at Real Wolf RC. Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at www.realwolfrecordclub.com. Join us next episode when we discuss the otherworldly 1971 album Hunky Dory by David Bowie. It's about